Well, and good morning and welcome. My name is Dirk, a lead pastor here at Encounter Church, and I'm soaked this morning from like hanging out outside with apparently a hole in my coat. Uh, the good news though, I have never seen so many people like run into church and for worship. It's fantastic. And then at 9.15, I saw them run away, so it must be something I said. Hey, um, welcome to part four of the series that we're in right now called habits. And I just want to want to move into the content of the message this morning by sharing a story with you, true story. It took place way back in the Old Testament. It's recorded uh, when a couple is having trouble uh, conceiving, having a child, becoming parents. And an angel comes to the couple and says, you're going to have a baby. It's a baby boy. And he is, he's not just going to be any baby boy. God has like, God has set him aside to rescue the people, God's people, the Israelite people, away from the Philistines, away from their oppressors. And he's going to have superhuman strength, right? This, this, this kid is going to grow into a man, and he's going, to be able to, he's going to be able to defeat a lion with his bare hands. He's going to be able to find this, this makeshift weapon, the jawbone of a donkey, and take out an entire Philistine army. This is not going to be an ordinary kid. He's going to save the people. And in return, I'm asking you to take a Nazarite vow, which meant three things. It meant staying away, don't touching a dead body, staying away from anything that grows on a vine, think wine, think alcohol. And everybody's going to know he's set apart because I'm going to ask you not to bring a, a, a razor to his head, not to cut his hair, or eventually when he grows it, not to cut his beard. And everybody's going to know he's different. Everybody's going to know he's set apart. And that way, people will know that this superhuman strength that he has comes from God. And it's an incredible story of, of promise and hope amidst a bleak and dark background. And then as Samson grows up, that boy grows into a man. He, in fact, does have that superhuman strength. And as his story starts to develop and unfold, we come to this troubling line in Judges chapter 16, the Old Testament of the Bible, just one verse. It says that one day, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. One day. There's so much part of me. This is like very much the beginning of the end for Samson. And there's such a huge part of me that is like, how could you? How could you throw it all away? How could you waste your life like that? How could you be such a bad steward of such an incredible gift that you would just give it all away in just like one day? In case you, you're not familiar with the Samson story, he would go to Gaza and there he would, he would meet that woman, but also another one named Delilah. And he would end up being, he would fall for her. And she made no pretense. She tried, didn't try to hide the fact at all that, that, that she was like in this relationship to find out the secret of his great strength and then take it from him. And so Samson would end, would end his life being betrayed by the woman he fell for, tortured and dead. How could you mess up so extremely badly? And this is my point this morning. This is what I hope, this, this is what I hope you take away, one of them. That we do the same thing every single day. When it starts off that story in Judges 16, one day, it wasn't just one day. He went to Gaza. Gaza was, uh, was the capital of the Philistine people. He knew where he was going. You don't just end up wind, wind up waking up in, in Gaza one day. On top of that, Gaza is about 50 miles away from his hometown, Zora. So you think about what it would take for somebody to walk 
or run 50 miles. This does not happen in one day. I'm, I'm imagining, I'm picturing this guy with, with superhuman strength. I've seen like the, the world's strongest man competitions. Distance runners, they are not, right? It took him several days. We're, we're talking like, he's probably a big fella, so it's hard to get an exactly an accurate count. We don't know kind of the, the route that he took. But, but I just imagine it was something like 94,500 steps that he had to take towards Gaza. 94,500 opportunities to, that he had to stop walking towards someplace that he knew he wasn't supposed to be in. It happened to him, not just all at once in one day. This is like a classic good news, bad news situation. The, the bad news is that nothing good, very rarely in your life, does something extraordinarily good come out of only one decision. Uh, bad news. Good news is, almost always is the case, that nothing extraordinarily bad in your life will come out of you because of just one decision you made. For Samson, it took 94,500 steps, decisions, habits, towards this inevitable end where he throws it all away. And so we're going to dig in this morning. We're going to see Samson. It's not just Samson. It's all of us because we do it every single day. I heard a, um, a trouble, a frightening statistic earlier this week um, that among 15 to 24-year-olds, uh, so I know <clears throat> some of us are outside of that age range, but, but 15 to 24-year-olds, the, the statistic was that, was that on average in that group, um, the people in that group spend four hours a day, not just in screen time, but specifically staring at their phone. And so what I'm saying is I don't think anybody I don't think any one of us here in the room or watching online, none of you, none of us decide, you know what, I'd like to give my whole life over to this shiny black brick. I don't want, none of us set out with that goal in mind. I'm like breaking out like four hours. Like if you're getting seven hours of sleep at night, you probably need more than that, but let's say, you know, conservatively, seven hours of sleep at night, that's about a quarter of your waking time, like giving your life over to this thing. And I thought, I know that I'm going to be so much better than this, right? Because like, I'm not, I'm not one of those young millennials. I'm like a cool older millennial, right? So I'm going to be exempt. It wasn't four hours, but it was embarrassing enough for me not to share it with you this morning. <laughs> And so I started doing the thing, like, uh, you can put apps, like uh, timers on your favorite apps, right? And I'm just, like, shocked with how quickly a half an hour goes away. And so I'm sharing this with you this morning. It says, nobody decides, hey, I would love to give my life over to this black brick. But it happens anyway. One step, one minute, one day, one habit at a time. Nobody decides, you know what would be fantastic is if I always live paycheck to paycheck, right? If I could just always struggle and if I could always just barely get by, right? So the, the smallest little like financial bump, the fi smallest little hiccup you know, in the road turns into like a devastating catastrophe. I would love that. I would love to freak out every year because apparently this year, Christmas is in December. What? <laughs> That's shocking. And the bill comes in January. Like, like, it's new information. I would love it. Nobody starts off that way. It just sort of happens. One decision, one step, one purchase at a time. One bad habit at a time. And that's what we're talking about 
this morning, nobody, nobody sets off going, I would love, I would love to take, to take these pills so much that I can't not take them anymore. I would love to be addicted to pain pills. Nobody sets off with that goal in mind. But for millions and millions of people, it just sort of happens. One little decision, one step, one day, one bad habit at a time. And the good news this morning is that God actually, he gave us a way to like break out of that cycle and said, listen, there's a question that you can ask that is going to frame an entirely new way that could change your day, could change your week, could change your life. And the the way that we're going to hear it cast to us this morning, it could even change your eternity. And so we're going to go to this place and, and check out this story to see this question. But, but even if you're not a Christian, I think this is going to be helpful to you. It's going to bless you on this journey. If somebody next to you or nearby you decides to implement this thing, your life just by proximity will be blessed by it so you can say thank you to them. But I want you to know that no matter what kind of like path that you're on, if you're doubting, if you're skeptical, if you're not really sure, I want you to know where this question came from in the Bible because chances are there's some other good stuff in there too that I think you might be blessed by as well. So we're going to go to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. You can find it in the Bible and at the chair in front of you. The words are going to be on the screen behind me in just a minute. Galatians, chapter 6. Um, Galatians is a, it's an open letter written to the, to the churches, kind of Christians living in and around the region of Galatia. This is not a city. This is like uh, an open letter to the West Michiganders. Right? Like anybody, anybody who picks this thing up and starts to read it, it's to you. Right? It's to a group of cities, a group of churches in those cities. And specifically, I love it because it was written in response to some heavy-handed religious leaders who are telling people, this is how to live, this is how, what exactly you need to do, this is how to be in the in-group. And Paul, church leader, is writing this and saying, no, 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 we're losing sight of the joy and the hope that we have and joining with Christ in his sacrifice, his death, and his ultimate resurrection. And so any one of you, if you've been in a place where you're like over-churched or de-churched, or like, I just want to put that behind me, or maybe you're not even in the room, you're just watching online because you can't stand to be in one of these buildings, Galatians is an excellent place for you to begin your journey again. So Galatians 6 is kind of towards the tail end of the book, and we pick it up in verse 7, where it starts off with just these four words, simple words, do not be deceived. Don't be fooled, which is a which is a tall order considering that I have a remarkable capacity to trick myself into, into thinking that I'm safe from me. And so Paul starts off with like, I'm going to have some tough words for you, but I want to start off with this thing. is like, you're going to tempt yourself into thinking this isn't a big deal when your life and your eternity is on the line. Don't be deceived. You have an ability to trick even yourself. Don't be deceived. You're blind. I'm blind to my own blind spots. I mean, there's like part of me that, you know, looks at it and it's like, don't be deceived. And and some of you are going to walk away from this time and be like, Dirk, you don't get it. If we sat down and talked about this, you don't, you don't understand. It's just one. I'm fine. I've had a stressful day. Don't bother me. That's okay. Dirk, don't worry about this habit that I have. Don't worry. It's a minute on the phone. It's a quick check. Don't worry about it. It's just one. And I want to acknowledge that this morning and say, yeah, I think you're right. It is just one. There's no getting around that. 
But I just, I want to ask the question as saying, is it possible that there's a deception going on here? Is, is it possible that you're blind to a blind spot that we can't see? And so that's why we have the banner up there that says that we do life together because it's always easiest to see it unpleasant as it is, but it's always easier to see it in other people rather than yourself. So he starts off and he's going, don't be deceived. You're blind to your own blind spots. And then he continues it on. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And then here's this principle. A man reaps what he sows. So it's a farming picture. So it's, a, it's an agricultural metaphor. And I, I don't know, like I said last week, I know very, very little about farming and about agriculture. Many of you are probably in that same boat, reaping, sowing, I don't know. I, just, I picture a guy, picture a guy out in his field, and he's got like this, like satchel kind of, um, like bag over the shoulder. And he's just walking down his field, and he's taking some of this seed, and he's throwing it on the ground. This side, this side, this side. He gets to the end of the row. He turns around, takes a couple steps over, turns around, this side, this side, this side, this side. And he just, he scatters it. He's sowing. That's sowing. He's planting. You ask the guy, well, what, um, what are you growing? He's going to be able to answer. It's zucchini, it's squash, it's carrots, it's celery. It's... He knows what he's growing. Because he knows that when the season ends and the beginning of the next one comes and it comes time to harvest, to reap it, to bring it in, he knows that he's going to eat what he had planted earlier. So you'd better be wise to like what you're planting. You reap what you sow. If you just need to kind of translate that into like today's non-agricultural metaphor, you pick what you plant. That's just how it is. You pick what you plant. What is it? I mean, it's, it's seed along the ground. That's not the important question. The question is, what's it going to become? My kids um, came home from school. This is like last year at some point with one of these egg cartons, right? And, um, and they must have finished like a plant unit in school. If I was more involved, I totally know. But like <laughs> they come home and they open it up and they're like, Dad. And each like little egg compartment in the container has got dirt in it with like this little sprout sticking out of the top little green little green like speck of dust kind of thing popping up through the ground and I'm looking at it going like what is it and they're like dad it's a plant can we put it in the ground can we do this that was the wrong question I know what it is this is the question that we're asking this morning the question is not what is it the question is what will it grow into if I could ask you to keep a question in your mind today, this week, your life. Just ask that question. What is it going to grow into? I'm looking at these eggs, sprouts sticking up, and I don't know a lot about this, but I'm like, are they tomatoes? Do they need full sun? Are they like beans or peas or something that's going to need some kind of trellis to grow on? I'm looking at it and going, is it, is it mint? Which is, by the way, a low-key invasive species. <laughs> True story, I went to my brother's house. I pulled up some mint out of the ground. I thought, oh, that'll be good. And then I go to my house, side sand area next to the garage. I dig a hole, like with my foot, you know, and I just like stick it down. Good. Several years later, I can't get rid of this stuff. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is, a tiny little plant. What will it grow into? I think that question is relevant for agriculture. 
I think that question is relevant for our lives. I think that's a helpful question to ask for any kind of habit, good or bad. And Paul says the, the remarkable ability for these things to grow has a way of profoundly impacting your life. What will it grow into? Paul continues on in the next line in verse 8, and he goes, let, let me take a shot at it. This is, this is what's at stake. Verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh, that's me, for the flesh, Whoever sows, whoever uh, plants to please themselves, from themselves, from the flesh, will reap destruction. Whoever plants, whoever sows to please the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The stakes that Paul gets to is like... We're not just talking about moving a little bit in this direction or a little bit in that direction. He goes, the trajectories of these two paths of the question, what does it grow into? Given long enough, one angle heads towards something that could only be described as destruction. On the other hand, it has the power to grow into something that could only be known as life. Life eternal, eternal life, he calls it. Um, we've gotten into a weird spot like... In, uh, in, in Christian culture, kind of along with like mainstream, kind of the way people view things. So oftentimes people view the two concepts of heaven and hell. And it's like, oh yeah, heaven is that, um, you know, sitting on a harp with a white robe, probably wings, and like playing a harp. And it's funny, you know, and it's like, it's light. And it's easy to look at something like that and say, this is entirely irrelevant to my life today because it's just a cute little picture and it's laughable. And at the same time, we do the same thing with hell. And we go like, okay, that's like a little guy running around with a pitchfork. How adorable. And there's like you know, fire in the background. He's like poking at people. It's funny and it's light. And so long as it's funny and it's light, we don't have to really give it another thought. I love this. One of my favorite definitions of hell and heaven comes from uh, Dr. Timothy Keller. He says, hell, hell is the result, is the thing that we call a life lived, what Paul would say, the flesh here, a self-centered, self-indulgent life going on forever and ever and ever. What do you call that life that like closes up in on itself? What do you call that life that's only about me all the time? What do you call that the trajectory, those habits that get instilled where it's only about me all the time? It's self-centered. It's self-indulgent. It's just me. And if that was allowed to go on for a year... If that was allowed to go on for 10 years, 100 years, if that existence was allowed to continue on into infinity, and then you grouped people together on into infinity like that, would you start to get the picture of something that you could only really truly describe as chaos, stones turned on top of each other, as, as ruin, as destruction, as hell? 
And the same way, if something were to like break in, if someone were to like crack open that heart, and somehow the, the Spirit of God, Paul says, is able to like have its way, and to start make, make like your heart beat in rhythm with the heart of Jesus. And, and somehow, if you could live like Jesus, and if you could live this selfless, self giving life, and if that were allowed to continue for a year, if that was allowed to continue for 10 years, 100 years, even on into eternity, into infinity, would that life, if you started grouping people together, would it look more and more like heaven? And, and for Paul, he like backs it out way up over here in Galatians. He needs to go on. It's such a small thing to be heading down this road or down this road, and it doesn't look like I've moved at all. Shoulders are postured one way, but you can't even tell which, which direction that I'm headed. But if you're allowed to continue down that road on into infinity, listen, you would be into remarkably different places. And so he goes, I just want you to be aware of what's at stake. Don't be deceived. Don't trick yourself into thinking it doesn't make a difference. Every action, every thought, every word invites into life this thing called hell or invites into life this thing called heaven. It all makes a difference. Forget about then and there now. It makes a difference today. It makes a difference now. Break in. Allow this God to break into your heart because I, I don't want this. So I, I want to help you. I want to help break into this thing um, by, by using just some of the research here around these habits that start to develop. And the first kind of takeaway, I want, you, I want you just to name that thing. Name the habit, name the action, name the step that is bringing you more and more towards Gaza for Samson. That's bringing you more towards destruction. Name whatever that thing is. Because listen to me, if you don't define it, you will not defeat it. You cannot defeat what you will not define. I love this. The University of Toronto came out with a study a number of years back that said that the average person trying to quit smoking, quit nicotine, attempts to try 30 times before they have one year without participating in the behavior, without smoking. 30 times. Uh, one of the conclusions of the study would be People don't just wake up and decide, I'm not going to be a smoker anymore. That doesn't happen. It takes 30 attempts on average. Half the time it's more than that. 30 times to try and try and try to define this step to save their own life. It does not happen by accident. You cannot defeat what you will not define. Name it is step one. Interrupt it is step two. Break into that cycle. We started off the series by talking about The Power of Habits, that book by Charles Duhigg. Um, and in that, in that book, The Power of Habit, he goes, like, the cycle of habits is uh, remarkably similar. Uh, it uh, starts out with trigger, action, and reward. Repeat. Trigger, action, report, uh, reward. Repeat. And it just goes around and around and again. We know that. And so you just have to interrupt it at one of these points, the trigger, the action, or the reward. And so you just imagine somebody, this would not be anybody in the room, but you pull up to a stoplight and immediately you're bored. 
right? There's nothing on the radio. It's a stoplight. I have nothing to do but just sit here for the 30 seconds it takes for this light to turn green. Trigger. I'm bored. Action. I reach for my phone because why not? I have 30 seconds. Oh, look, somebody gave me a message. Quick type up a response and you hear that sound. Right? You know what I'm talking about? It goes out. Reward. Light turns green. I'm on my way. Maybe I'm not quite done with the message, but I can do two things at once. I'm on my way then. You break into that person and go like, do you, do you know what, what you're up to? It's innocent, right? Nobody got hurt. Everybody is fine. Yeah, but you know what was at stake. We know, we all know, we've seen the public service announcement. We know that when we pick up the phone and we're driving, you pass like a football length field or something like that and the time that it takes to glance down at your phone once. Like we know about the danger that texting and driving causes on myself, everybody in my vehicle, and everybody else that I'm sharing the road with. We know that. But yet the cycle repeats itself because there's a trigger, there's an there's a action, and there's a reward. Uh, Duhigg, uh, power of habit, breaks in there. What if... What if we don't get rid of the trigger? I'm not advocating just blow through those red lights. You're safer at the end of the day. You get to meet Jesus even sooner. No, uh, no. if we can't defeat the trigger, sometimes we can. Sometimes it's a per person. Sometimes it's a place. Sometimes you can get rid of the trigger. Sometimes you get rid of the action. Uh, going into the car, clear-minded, instead of the phone going in the glove compartment, the phone goes into the trunk. I pull up to the trigger, I'm sorry, the stoplight, I'm immediately bored, same as before, reach for the phone, it's not anywhere available. No reward, no action, heading on my way, less likely to repeat it the next time. Trigger, action, reward. But the thing is, the thing is that the reward is so incredibly powerful, we have to realize that there's always a reward See, a lot of the times when we try to quit something or we try to stop these bad habits, these things that could only be described as ending, texting and driving, as ending in destruction. Like this is how this ends. No good can come from it. That's what it looks like. And we forget that there's always a reward. Typically, this is James Clear, the Atomic Habit is the name of the book. Typically, what this looks like is bad habits have a short-term reward, but a long-term detriment. Like short-term, there's something that works. Short-term, there's like, oh, that was good. I got my message sent. Short-term, it was, oh, this sleeve of Oreos is delicious late at night. I like that, right? Short-term, it's awesome. Long-term, is like, I don't feel good about myself, and I think I harmed somebody near me by doing that thing. Long-term detriment, short-term reward. Realize there's a reward. There's always a reward. That's why it doesn't work to say like, I guess that's just it. I mean, just quit. Just knock it off. Just stop doing the thing. There's always a reward. The same way, um, good habits tend to be just the opposite. Good habits tend to be there's a short-term detriment. You're telling me you have to, like, walk. It's raining outside. I have to go for a run in this, right? There's a short-term, I don't want to do this thing. There's a long-term benefit as a result from it. There's always a reward. It doesn't work just to say no, or just to stop it, we must replace it. Name it, interrupt it, replace it. That's exactly what Paul is about to suggest. Paul goes on in verse 9, and he says, Let us not become weary 
in, and now he's not talking about destruction or life. He's talking about doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't become weary in doing good. Name it. Interrupt it. Replace it. Replace it with something good. I got a friend of mine who decided uh, not too long ago uh, that he would like to quit his nicotine habit. It was uh, electronic cigarettes, vaping. And he decided, okay, I'm finally going to believe the people who are like, you should probably only put in your lungs air. And so <laughs> he's like, okay, I'm going to knock this thing. But he was struck, right, with how remarkably often he'd like reach for the thing. And he's just like, indoor, outdoor, it doesn't matter with that, which is part of the problem. It's just, it's so drilled into him, so reinforced. And so like, he's at his keyboard, or he's doing something around the house, he's driving around. It's just like, any amount of boredom or stress were the triggers. Any amount, any levels at all of boredom or stress, and it's just like, he'd reach for it. And it's like, it wasn't even there. He got rid of the thing, but like, he would still reach for it. And he was going like, this is scary, the power that this thing has over top of me. And so he tries, I'm not just going to quit it. I'm actually going to, I'm going to try to replace it with something good. And so for him, what he decided every time, he's telling me about this, and he goes, every time I like reach up for the thing, I'm going to do 10 push-ups, right? Just as a way to like, it takes time. It's just like another thing I got to do. Every time I reach up, ah, 10 push-ups. How's it going? He goes, sore. <laughs> I'm sore. Right? But time goes by. That day, the next day, the next day. How's it going? Less sore. How's it going? Almost there. How's it going? I've never been so happy to say I haven't done any push-ups today. Replace. Interrupt. It starts with naming it. You cannot defeat what you will not define. That last line, though, it's uh, don't be weary of doing good for, and the line it is so hard, at the proper time. It's a call to perseverance. It's a call to endurance. It's a call to hang in there. If something is rewarding in the immediate, chances are there's a good possibility there will be a detriment in the long run. If something is a short-term detriment, I don't want to do this thing. I'm continuing to do it because I believe someday, somehow, this is going to help. Pushing the chocolate cake away, I'm getting coffee without cream and sugar. I'm doing what I can because at the proper time, the harvest is coming. I just have to wait. Showing up and serving in kids' men or helping cars park in a spot at church or helping you find a seat. Like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to keep on showing up. Am I going to win some kind of outstanding service award for this job? I don't think so, but at the proper time, the harvest will come. It's a call to endurance. Hang in there. The harvest is coming. So what I'd like to do right now is to invite you to consider one of two responses. Some of you, some of us, are in a place today where you've hopefully identified something 
Maybe it's an attitude, a critical or biting spirit. Maybe it's a digital thing, like I mentioned, with the phone and too much time on it or binge-watching Netflix. Maybe it's a substance, sugar, nicotine, pills, something, whatever it is, uh, whatever it is. But identify some steps that you're taking, some habits that you're on that are going to lead ultimately into destruction, yourself or somebody around you. And this is going to take a minor recalibration. That's all we're asking for today is just to move two degrees over here to over here. That's it. The end results are going to be dramatically different. What I'm just asking this morning is it's two degrees, a world of a difference. I've shared this story of uh, two ships that collided back in the 1940s, I believe. And it was a little while after the Titanic sunk, and so people were like alarmed to this already. And then when these two ships collided, the SS Nantucket and the Monroe, Congress, U.S. Congress decided to do a full-blown investigation into this thing. And what they found is that these two ships, one of them, the Monroe, was piloted by Captain Johnson. And they found that he was actually using a navigation tool, a compass, that was off by only two degrees from true north, from magnetic north. Now, he would counter with lots of experienced ship captains use tools that are off by such a tiny amount. I still, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I'll be fine. This time he wasn't. Two degrees made the difference between people losing their lives or not when the ships collided. I'm asking you for a small recalibration I'm no longer going to move in this direction. It's time for me to start moving this direction. Many of us are in that boat, and you know, this is my recalibration today, this week, and the harvest will come at the proper time. For others of you, though, this is not about a minor recalibration. For others of you in the room today or watching online, you're going, can, can we come back to the Samson guy? Can we come back to that story? about somebody who has taken 94,500 steps in exactly the wrong direction. Each one of them an opportunity to turn around. Each one of them choosing not to turn around and to move on ahead. Can we talk about the guy who's almost there in Gaza ready to throw everything away because that's what I'm into. I'm so far down deep. I'm in such a hole right now. I'm such a mess right now. There's no way that I could ever get out by myself. And I want to let you know that you may be 94,500 steps towards that particular end, but that number doesn't matter. The number of steps you take towards Gaza does not matter. The only number that matters to you is the number one. One step is what it takes to turn around. And church, church, this place, Encounter, was founded on a story found in your Bible in Luke chapter 15, the story of the lost sons. I know. I was there. It was in my living room with several people, a group, a small group, gathered around and saying, what if we started a kind of church, a kind of place where it doesn't matter how far down you've gone, that you can always turn around. It doesn't matter if it's almost 100,000 steps in the wrong direction. What matters is turning around and taking one step towards God. And what you're going to see when you turn around 
He's the arms of the Father. Your loving heavenly Father with his arms stretched out open, not walking, but running towards your particular direction. That's what you get to see when you turn around. Some of you, it's a minor recalibration. For some of you, this is going to be the first step around maybe you have ever had. And during this last song, I invite you to hang out at the prayer table and back and just ask the people back there, how do I do that? How do I turn around? You can go to encounterchurch.org slash baptism. Show the world that you're ready to turn around and to move away from what will inevitably lead to destruction and towards life and life eternal. Pray to stand up and let's pray together, church. Gracious God, this question for everything that we're caught up into today and this week, this question, not what is it, but will it grow into, God, by your spirit, give us the wisdom to ask that question. God, give us the courage to face the honest results. Walk alongside us as we name those things that trap us, as we interrupt those habits, as we replace them with things from you. Gracious God, We pray all of this in your risen son's name. Amen.